You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Before we get started, I'd like to remind you to please subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us on social media. That means like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and check out our YouTube page. Our guest today is Jonam Ross. Jonam Ross helps survivors of religious tyranny and religious cults to recover from their trauma and create lives of freedom and fulfillment on the outside. He has a podcast called the Religion Rehab Podcast, and you can find his website at religionrehab.co.uk. This is a fascinating conversation, so let's dive in. Hey, fellas, welcome. Here we are. Authenticity hey, show. Hey, we're back Hello, at it. everybody. Good to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Carlos, um, uh, you are the master of, of finding amazing people. So, uh, so who do we have? Who have you found this time? Mr. Jonam Ross. Right. Right. Jonam and I met um, probably a year and a half ago in Pennsylvania. Yes. Uh, wait, sorry. Pennsylvania? Wait. Was it Pennsylvania, Jonam? Uh, Virginia Beach, wherever. Virginia that is. Beach. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm getting my my workshops and seminars mixed up, uh, but we went to a behavioral, um, like a behavioral analysis, and it was it was kind of a mix, wasn't it, Jonam? It wasn't just one. Yeah. It's like we we talked about uh, the course was about interrogation and lie detection and persuasion and all sorts of stuff. But yeah. it was we. It was called the Master Behavior Course that we took together, and it was um, it was fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. very cool, very cool. I happened to to have a, a room next to 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 Jonam and his his girlfriend. So that's that's how I got to know them. <laughs> uh, nice, nice. All right, all right. Very good. So went around and asked for a glass of sugar and all neighborly things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, oh my goodness. So, um, all right. So, uh, J- Jonam, um, you do some interesting work. You know, I don't see a lot of people that do what you do, and I don't know much about what you do. I mean, certainly, I think Carlos probably knows more than I do. So maybe I'm the I'm the right guy to ask because I don't know as much about what you do, but it's fascinating. Um, how do you describe what it is that you do for people? So I use hypnotherapy and NLP and behavioral profiling to help survivors of spiritual tyranny and religious cults to recover and rehabilitate and build life on the outside. Mm, lovely. Wow. 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 That's interesting. Build life on the outside. Mm. Right. So that it sounds like you've got this, uh, really nice, uh, definition here of what you do. And so that sounds very, um, that sounds very, uh, direct that you chose that term, that, that term to build life on the outside. Yeah. Um, gosh, can you talk about that? Mm. Yeah, when you grow up in an environment of indoctrination, it's um, like a mutual friend of ours, James Tripp, refers to it as a reality tunnel. 
um, which I think was a great term, but it's like living in a bubble where where all of your expectations clearly defined, um, all of your beliefs about life and the world outside clearly defined. Uh, you know, who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, what you should and shouldn't do, what your conscience should plague you over, what you should be compelled to do and what you should feel bad for not feeling compelled to do. All of that is very neatly packaged and laid out. And then when that bubble bursts and you <laughs> go into the outside world and you realize all these things that I thought were true about life and about myself um, are totally invalid, um, that's a rude awakening. Um, so, so navigating that, that's a journey I've had to navigate myself and it's tough. Um, I was very lucky to have been exposed to tools like NLP and hypnotherapy beforehand, and that helped me get a handle of things myself. Um, but seeing the struggles other people go through, some people leaving an organization that was tyrannical and controlling and being stuck for decades, still in this sort of hell loop of uncertainty, of self-doubt, of of um, resentment and all, all of these totally understandable things. Um, and I just wanted to help people solve them. Mm. Uh, so, so that's where it came from. I'd been immersed in the world of NLP and all of this behavioral geekery for so long. And up until realizing that I could help people with this area, it kind of rung hollow me it, it was I knew that I was supposed to be learning it but I was never quite sure why so I dabbled in this and I tried a bit of that and then as soon as this came into view it was like that's what I was learning this mm, for. Mm. And, and and what what brand of spiritual and religious and cult-like tyranny did you emerge from you my know. background I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness <clears throat> okay so from from birth until my sort of early 20s is when I was involved in that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I got disfellowshipped uh, about five years ago, five or six years ago. And what that means is where you, you're excommunicated, you're not allowed to speak to anyone, you can still go. And if you prove how sorry you are for long enough, they'll let you back into the fold. Uh, yes, fellowshipped. Like, yeah. So uh, social, it's, it's social isolation of a kind. Uh, but no contact at all. So um, mm -hmm. I, I was trying to get reinstated for another two years after being kicked out, um, trying to earn forgiveness and groveling and all of that stuff. Um, and, and then I realized, okay, this, <clears throat> you know, th this is unsustainable, and I, I had to focus on other things. Then at the beginning of 2020, um, I started to investigate, and I saw... I, I sought the answers to the questions I'd been avoiding mm. because we can, we, many people, they'll leave an environment like that and they'll decide, well, this isn't, this isn't for me and I'll just park it. But in the back of their minds, they're still believing things like the world's going to end any day yeah. now. Armageddon's coming. And, um, and that they fester away in the background and mm. trying to ignore it. It's like trying to spray air freshener over, an offensive smell while the cause of the smell is still there. So it's, right. only, mm -hmm. it's only going to cover it yeah. up so much. Mm. I finally decided to ask the uncomfortable questions and came to some answers. Mm. And along the way, that's how I discovered tens of thousands of other people in the same boat. Mm. Wow. Wow. That's got to be hard to uh, 
even know what those questions are for yourself. Mm. You know, I mean, or, or, or were they always there and you just weren't looking at them? They were, it, it wasn't hard to know what they were, but it was hard to face them. It's yeah. a question, questions like, is this the true religion or is it not? Right. So it's kind of binary, mm. um, has a bunch of sub questions like, well, okay, validity of the Bible or, and the interpretation of the Bible, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the thing that certainly in my case and many other people's cases makes it very challenging to face that is the, the idea that what you were taught could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, and simultaneously the idea that it could be right when you just park it like Schrodinger's cult on on a, on a shelf somewhere it's um you, you can just drift along and and create this sort of maya for yourself so to speak where you mm-hmm. you know j- just going through the motions um when you turn and face it you have to be comfortable with the idea that maybe maybe they're right and i'm wrong and i mm-hmm. need to adjust my course accordingly to live more in, a, in alignment with truth yeah or maybe they are wrong and now suddenly these beliefs that i'd been ignoring but that were there and exerting gravity in the back of my mind they burst they've disappeared and Mm -hmm. now i need to find some way to uh, to orient myself uh starting anew yeah yeah um you know i i i think you know and and i i know this from you know my own personal experiences is that when you're in a situation like that where like like, you know like you, you had said you're you're faced with this idea of well, maybe they are right, or maybe they're not, and you're stuck in between. I think there's this, this, there's a little bit of shame too that can come up. Like, was I being foolish? Right? Was I a fool for having believed these sets of principles for so long? And or am I a fool for leaving? So like, you're 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 a fool either way you either way you look at it. And you know, we don't want to be a fool. You right. know, we don't want to have have the the wool pulled over our eyes and we didn't see. What if they're right? Yeah, I, I know that feeling. That's that's a that's a familiar one. Yeah, yeah. The the um, <clears throat> the example that kept coming up when you were talking about it was was actually a, a a man that I know who had a sort of um, I would say non-religious Jewish background, and he was extremely logical, very much into you know. Um, rational thinking and, and whatnot. And he talked to me one time about how he just wasn't sure that he wasn't going to hell because people were so convinced from the fundamentalist Christian side that that, that was the case and that he genuinely felt anxiety about that. Because, and I said, well, but you're, you were never raised Christian. You were never, you know, why, why would you even think that? And, he's, and he said, because there's you know, I, I've used logic to try to figure out if this is true or not, and I really cannot disprove it, really. So that leaves a shred of doubt inside of me. And I, mm. I, I, I balked a little bit at that. But when I think about it, that is what makes it sticky. That's what, what makes it so difficult for people is that we can never know. You know, there's an uncertainty quality there. And we can, we can certainly tell ourselves not to worry about it. And it's not no big deal. And it's stupid. It's a dumb idea or whatever, but because we haven't, we don't have the ability to look beyond our life. We can't look into and beyond what, um, passing into death is 
Yeah. Um, we're kind of stuck with just sort of whatever we believe. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. Yeah. That's tricky. Yeah. I've often thought of people arguing over who has the right religion. It's a bit like us going out and buying a lottery ticket each and me saying, well, my mine is going to be the winning ticket. And you go, no, mm-hmm. full, of, full of crap, man. Mine's going to be the winning ticket. Yeah. Well, we don't know until, until the numbers yeah. come out. Yeah. It's a great How analogy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. No, nor could we possibly know. No. And I, and I think that's that's the thing is 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 you know for, for me is we th- there's this concept of faith right and yeah you might be familiar with Richard Dawkins um, you know um, something I remember him saying it was a good point it was a good point he was saying that like well who's to say that that faith is the thing that like if 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 there is um you know a, a concept if there's if there's truly a a concept of of God out there. In the traditional sense, you know, then who's to say that that it's it's faith that is the determining most, or I should say, the most valued um, thing for humans? Why why isn't logic also in that conversation? You right. know, or 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 you know, it, it's okay to say that that you know, there's there's faith, and I've I've always said that faith and belief is actually something that we're not really in direct control of. I mean, we're not in direct control of it. Like, for example, somebody could tell me, they could really try to convince me that the moon is actually made out of cheese. And no matter how, I mean, I, I just, ultimately, I'm like, yeah, I hear you. And I understand you're convinced, but I just can't come to the conclusion that that's true. And I'm, and I'm not in complete control over that. I could lie to myself a little bit, but then that starts to form those questions in our subconscious. Like, you know, you're not facing this, this lie. You know what I mean? And it's like, I, I just can't believe that the moon is made out of cheese. And so, so we're not in direct control of it. No. And I, I think the, the, the danger people face is, is when they leave that kind of an environment. And it's not just religious. It's, it's any place of extreme certainty going into uncertainty mm-hmm. um, and feeling the pressure to, to have all the answers again. Mm-hmm. Because b- before I may have been believing in BS, but I was, it was all bagged and tagged. It was all really clearly defined and I had yeah, clarity about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so leaving that um, and <clears throat> not getting sucked into another ideological bubble mm-hmm. is, um, is, is tough. And it's, it's something to be mindful of because our, our tendency towards certainty and that addiction to it is um is going to be really hard to fulfill on the outside because certainty is is pretty much a lie other than mm-hmm. <laughs> the certainty of change um mm-hmm. so so we got weaned onto this addictive substance that there's um is is there a healthy alternative to it you know that that's what mm-hmm. we need to be found mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what do you think is there is there a healthy alternative to certainty i think I think is where you point it. Um, if if our, our certainty is being invested in things outside of ourselves that that we can't prove or that that have this this element of blind faith to it, I think that that's that's risky business. Um, the the certainty of our own convictions or our own intentions, I think, can be healthy. Uh, when we return that locus of control as much as we can inside of ourselves. And it's like, well, look, I'm, I'm certain that I'm probably going to make mistakes, 
but I'm also certain I'm going to try the best I can with what I've got. I'm going to yeah. do my best to continue learning and, um, and, and taking that responsibility and viewing it from that angle rather than becoming a keyboard warrior and arguing over, well, my president who I'm going to vote for is going to be way better than your president who you vote for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't have a president. You know what I mean, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, be- we barely have a prime minister. We have a... <laughs> right, it's like, what, what's better? A president? No, no, a prime minister is better. No, a president's better, you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, my goodness. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's it's important to say this, too, is like um, the tradition that you came from, Jehovah's Witness, mm. right? Um I would even I, I'd like I'd like to say that that all the people that I've ever met that come from that tradition, I've always found them to be good-hearted people. Mm-hmm. I've always found them to be you know nice, kind, um, interesting folks. I, I like them, you know, and um, I, I think there's there's a certain danger too that anybody hears a conversation like the one we're having right now, and um, I, I don't want people to get the idea that. Um, Oh, you know, we're, we're we're calling everything in in a certain tradition bad, right? Because lots of wonderful people in there, you know. Um, and I've always thought that, in some ways, religious traditions can save a person, and religious traditions can also cloud the goodness that is really in a, inside of a person, mm. you know. Um, and um, this whole idea of people sort of being, you know unfellowship did you say ex unfellowship disfellowship disfellowship yeah Yeah. so if if you were disfellowshipped um those are those are good people that 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 did that and so then now suddenly you're not connected to the goodness that those people offered you too right yeah you know the the danger people face is is mistaking the people for the teachings or mistaking mm. the people for the policies would be a more mm. principles, okay. for po- principles for uh, what is it in, in, in a, they say uh, principles versus um, personalities. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, th- there are a lot of good people in the same way that there were a lot of good people who joined the third Reich in the 1930s yes. and 40s. <laughs> a right. lot, a lot, there were a lot of good good men who mm-hmm. who end, signed up for something and then they'd overcommitted and then they ended up doing things that were unspeakable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very, very good people can do very bad things sometimes and they, and they do it because that belief structure that they've... Um, inhabited or being possessed by however you want to think about it is um it makes that the best option to them uh, so so some people do hold a lot of anger towards them understandably um you know if, if someone is a parent and they've raised children they've got grandchildren and then they decide well this religion isn't for me and suddenly they're cut off from everyone they love and the life they've built for decades mm-hmm. I, I can understand why someone would be angry about that um yeah. But if we if we demonize the the people the, the people who did it, then we lose sight of where it actually came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, yeah. You, you mentioned um, <clears throat> good people eventually doing bad things because of their associations, you know. Mm-hmm. And it it really reminds me of um, something I was reading the Dalai Lama write about 
I don't remember which book it was. It might've been the art of happiness. I don't know, but it's talking about the cultivation of right thinking. Mm. And that's something that gets talked about in um, Buddhism uh, and the Dhamma practice and all that stuff. But this idea of right thinking, and, and if you, if you don't really know what it is, it's easy to kind of confuse that with some, something like uh, being righteous or something like that, overly righteous. Mm-hmm. But it really is um, having an internally consistent, uh, rational, life-preserving mindset, really. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's not, it's almost like the the underlying philosophy that captures the most important or uh, life-preserving qualities of life. That's what I think of it as. So the development of right thinking involves uh, obviously discernment and uh, you have to work out, you know, what's, what's most important, you know, your values have to be really worked out where right thinking can get confused uh, is when, when it stops, stops being right thinking, I guess you could say is when it starts to adopt uh, complex metaphysical theory and uh, presuppositions that are kind of uh, not reflexive and not inherent like they're not things that you would automatically do. Like reflexive is, you know, non-harm to yourself, for example. Like you reflexively wouldn't do that. You know, it's just part of your um, your makeup that you preserve your own life. Like you take a breath. Otherwise something kicks in and, stop and, and causes you to take a breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you get further and further out from the right thinking, it gets more and more complex. That's where people will use terminology that sounds like they're um, what they're doing is well thought out and it's right thinking, but upon closer examination, it really isn't. Mm. So with anything that's potentially dangerous, uh, at least in, in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, I've, I've noticed that they, they don't even teach certain tantric practices and things like that until uh, they're satisfied that they have been well-trained in right thinking. You know, they have challenged their own assumptions. They've done, you know, their own version of debates. Like we think of uh, debates and debates uh, in Mm -hmm. in school, we learn debate. Um, So they do their own kind of challenging uh, uh, based upon their logic. Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. I just think that, that, that religion, as I've seen from, from looking at so many different religions, religions has the, the potential, very strong potential to get far above and beyond what right thinking is. It, 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 it can take these leaps that go away from right thinking and they, the, the priests, the proselytizers, the, the advocates, often discourage you from discerning and discourage you from really looking at and questioning anything. Mm-hmm. So if it, if it is right thinking, it's probably because it's okay to challenge it. Like right thinking says, mm-hmm. please challenge my right thinking. Mm-hmm. Make sure this is really right thinking. Disagree with me. Prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. Because right thinking has no pride right thinking uh does not stand on laurels right thinking says if this is true it will be true universally and it will be true uh, no matter how we argue it so there's no insecurity there's no fear and so i don't have to control you or tyrannize you 
in order to prevent you from, from seeing that there's a man standing behind the curtain. That mm-hmm. yeah. is what my thinking is. Yeah. I, I love the quote, and I forget who said it, but someone clever said that uh, you should love the ones who are seeking the truth and run from the ones who have found it. <laughs> that's well that's well put yeah <laughs> i like that um, that's great oh my in, goodness uh, in some of the the religious debates that i've ended up in uh previously i do debates with air quotes because it's it's kind of one-sided if, <laughs> if someone's mm-hmm. not open to hearing another point of view yeah, um, yeah. but I, I notice how there are a couple of things that happen. One is the person who's stuck inside one viewpoint, they make straw man arguments of everything on the outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say, well, well, are you saying that all Jehovah's Witnesses should be imprisoned and tortured? <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I've not said that anywhere, ever, nor would I. But <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. And then I sound awful because, well, she's asked him if he's said that. So he must have at least intended it on some way. And it's it's a, a weird style of argumentation. The, the mm. other is that there are so many causal links that have to be assumed. Um, you know, like if, if you're making a plan and it's like, well, this has to go right, then that has to go right. And then all these chain links down the, down the line putting as much faith in this totally obscure variable down the road as you would in something you, you know to be true right now. That, that, that those, um, I, I can't think of the, the right word, but like fanciful leaps of faith that mm-hmm. then they, they are made sustainable by having to make it its own little ecosystem. There, there was an experiment. I'd love to find the source of it. Um, but there are just so many experiments where t- scientists torture rats that it's just hard filtering through them all to find the one I'm looking for. <laughs> but, but there was one. <laughs> there was there was one where where they they put these the animals and they did it on a cellular level too. Um, they put the the organism in a poisonous environment. Let's say one one that's just pure oxygen, for instance. If it's a breathing thing, pure ac- oxygen is poisonous; it'll kill you. Um, if you do it suddenly, if they put you in a container and it just just slowly increases the amount of oxygen, so it's at a higher level and you acclimatize to that, then you'll survive. You'll acclimatize to the toxic conditions and you'll be able to survive there for a while. Then if you take that off, you take that bubble away and you go back to breathing normal air, the normal air will be toxic to you and it will kill you. So mm-hmm. you have to reacclimatize your way back to, to what's actually healthy. So when mm-hmm. people who are trapped in an ideological viewpoint, um, that that feels like their life support machine, and and if you try to say, hey, you you, know, you can live without that, that's like going into the hospital and saying, I'm going to unplug this machine from you that you think you need to survive. So of course that they respond badly to it, and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, do not thank you for that for for that attempt to free. Yeah. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, it, 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 it proves that point that, um, transformation has to go through a process. You know, they, 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 we say that in, in, um, traditional Chinese philosophy, um, you know, yin and yang are always transforming into one another. Yin becomes yang, eventually yang becomes yin and it can happen rapidly, but even in situations where it happens rapidly, it's still transitions from yin to yang or yang to yin. Like day does not suddenly become night. Day has to transition to night. And so that's kind of like what you're talking about. There's, there's, there's a danger there in, in, in trying to make things happen too abruptly. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so Jonam, uh, could you talk a little bit about the things that you realized like uh, along your journey? Um, uh, what, what were some of the things that got you questioning and got you to the, to where you are today, as far as being in the midst of, of, of that tradition. And now suddenly you're not in that tradition. Mm. What sparked that transition? So some of the fundamental um, values that got instilled in me as a JW were things like to, to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do and be, be prepared to stick to what you believe the truth is right up to the point of imprisonment, torture, and execution. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and that's, that's a fairly noble value, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it got pointed towards serving the organization and being an obedient subordinate to it that that part's not so good but the value in itself of being um, almost soldier-like towards some greater good beyond yourself was a value that that I always took seriously Um, while I was in while I was in the process of of kind of drifting away from it that value remained constant Um, so I got this fellowship and during that time I was still going and attending the meetings. So you can sit there and listen to what everyone's saying, the presentations, the discussions, but you can't participate um, as in you, you just can't speak to anyone. You're just an observer. Mm-hmm. So during that time, there's there's only so much you can get from hearing a bunch of people debate their thing. So, so I would sit there and I'd read around in the Bible. So let's say they quote Jesus as saying something and there's there's a little citation there. So I turned to that page in the Bible and I'd just read the whole chapter around it. And that was a habit of mine. And uh, and it was interesting. And I, I would get quite a lot from it, not from what anything they were saying on the, on the platform, but just from my own research there. And um, I thought, yeah, this Jesus guy seems to be pretty nice. He's, he's saying some things that I can get on board with, some nice principles. Um and then there was this discrepancy between what I was reading and what I was witnessing. Mm-hmm. And um, unintended. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I, and I realized that I would have to become hypocritical in order to fit in with their ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there was a lot of cognitive dissonance. And so I was reading things, these values around, um, you know, love and oneness and accepting people and bringing out and honoring the sovereignty within each person and all the things that Jesus was actually talking about. And uh, I was on board with that. I could agree with it. And realizing that I would have to jump through these hoops of becoming more judgmental in order to discern between worldly people out there and Christians in here, in this one organization only. And and all all these different mental, moral, acrobatic stunts that you'd have to be able to do to to sustain them. And realizing that I I couldn't be in the religion and have integrity with my own conscience was was kind of a breaking Mm. point for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so, So that was the first realization um from there going out and and realizing that things things that other people might take for granted like you can you can actually be yourself and other people will accept and like you um 
something I had, something many people in my situation have, is this smokescreen strategy. Because you've spent your whole life having to lie to people around you. This mm. uh, this social mask, which we've spoken about in the past, Carlos, the social mask was so thick and so heavy um, by necessity. Because if, if you showed a wrong thought, if you let doubts on, or if you let out that you were unhappy about something, um, or even that you were happy about something, or if you like a girl at school, or so, and any of these really uh, mundane things that you should be allowed to express were totally off limits. And so the um, this new personality that you put on, um, people bring that habit with them long after they've discarded the doctrines, because there's this, this feeling of fear, this conditioned response that if I'm authentic, then I'm going to be judged, I'm going to be discarded. So I'm going to put this, this front up, I'm going to find out what the world wants from me, I'm going to present what I think it wants um, to buy myself some time, to buy myself some space. And, and that was a totally unconscious strategy for, for years. And then after leaving, I realized that's it can be true, but it doesn't have to be true. It's not the only truth available. Hmm. Wow. What do you think, um, from, from your memory of, of things, is it that got you to the point where you were disfellowshipped? Because you mentioned being in that space where you could come in and you could listen, but you weren't able to participate. But what got you to that point where you could be there? So, so you remember your, your story about us sharing sharing uh, sharing hotel rooms or being next to each other in, in hotel yes. rooms? Yes. That, that was connected. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh no they have they take a dim view of sexual intimacy before marriage so so that was the that was the primary thing i was a doofus though because i was a chronic confessor so i, I would get myself into immoral situations uh-huh. and um and then I'd, I'd go and apologize for it and uh, and confess because i uh, i didn't want to be leading a, a double life basically mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's really common, isn't it? To um, for a- a- any tradition that um, wants to control people is to instill guilt or shame about things that the universe actually wants from us, mm-hmm. right? I mean, human beings are quite literally, by definition, sexual beings, right? In order for humans to exist, sex must occur. Like, like it, it's pretty required, right? So that's a perfect thing to make everybody feel guilty and shameful about. And we can control people's behaviors internally, you know, by by using that one thing. It's, it's, it'd be like making people feel guilty about eating, you know, or breathing. I mean, if we, if, if, if it was, if it was a little more, um, you know, more quick and in the moment, then we could just make you feel, you know, guilty about taking breaths, right? Like, you know, you shouldn't take such a deep breath because then that's, taking oxygen away from others and we should be more equal here and the amount of mm-hmm. oxygen that we share, you know, we're thinking, yeah, but I need to breathe. Right. Yeah. And uh, that there's a tendency for that to happen yet. So I, I, I resonate with what you're saying about, you know, um, realizing that you would have to kind of be hypocritical to, 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 to stay with that system of beliefs, right. Because you're realizing other bigger truths, you know, like, um, yeah, uh, you know, uh, I, I uh, you, something you said brought to mind the the song uh, "Only the Good Die Young" by Billy Joel. All right. 
And he says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. Yeah. Mm. And, and you know, what's beautiful about that is, is what's the most spiritual thing in that line? Laughter. Isn't laughter the most spiritual thing out of all that? You know what I mean? We could laugh or we could cry. I mean, there's value in both, but, you know, shoot, let's take the joy. You know what I mean? That's what life is, you know, you don't have to be bad to be joyous, you know? Yeah. And, and I've got a lot. So, so a big thing in my own recovery has been transmuting the, um, the scriptural data that got plowed into my head for so long. I was like, well, this isn't going anywhere. I'm not going to dig it out. I'm not going to go to one of my hypnotist friends and say, wipe me like a, <laughs> like a hard drive that, that's, uh, that needs to be cleared immediately. It's, um, it's, it's there. So I thought, well, let's transmute it and use it for something useful to me rather than to, to serve someone else's agenda. And, and one of the, the scriptures in Deuteronomy talks about how I've put before you the blessing and the malediction. And basically you get to choose there's the good path or not the good path, but there's, there's what's good for you and there's what's bad for you. And you have the absolute right to choose. Um, and, and realizing that and realizing that what had been labeled up as good or bad, that those labels were just a bit confused, but the principle that I get to choose and I get to choose what's right for me um, was was very empowering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, well put. Um. So, what? D- tell me, tell me some of the things about uh, s- since since you were from the the JW, you know, tradition. Um, what are some of the things you you like about that tradition? I'm sure there are things about it that are honorable that that you like. Um, you yeah. know, yeah. Like, like I said before, the, um, the, the values driven idea of loyalty unto death, you know, loyalty to something beyond yourself. It's kind of, um, mm. it's superhero-y almost, you know, it gives you that sense of, um, of meaning of purposefulness and yes, it got coerced, but that value is important. Also, um, some people would argue with me on this, but my experience of it was that uh, prejudice is very much discouraged or or rather only the sanctioned prejudice. So, mm. um, so you're allowed to be prejudiced against non-witnesses because they're worldly people and their temptations. Um, and you're allowed to be prejudiced against disfellowship people because they sinned and did wrong and they weren't repentant. But if someone's in the congregation, regardless of their skin color or their family history or whatever, then you should be accepting and uh, warm towards them. And then there are videos online of um, like conventions in Palestine where you'll have Jehovah's Witnesses who used to be um, uh, Jewish and used to be Muslims and they're all there together with their new religion getting on fine and dandy, sharing food and uh, worshipping together. So... Mm -hmm. And, and stories from South Africa as well, when the you know the whole apartheid situation was was going mm, on, and that yeah. was a hot topic. Um, there were people who, um, who who saved each other's lives on on both sides of them. So you'd have a, a white and a black JW going out preaching together, and uh, you know a gang from one 
uh, skin color group would come and threaten to kill the the person from the wrong color, and, and then the, so the other one would step in and say, "Well, if you kill him, you got to kill me." And that there's mm-hmm. this kind of nobility there. Yeah. So, um, so, so values like that, um, I think are, are noble and admirable and um, mm-hmm. and worthwhile. And another really fun thing, which is hard to replace once you've left, is community. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you're in the organization. Uh, you can go to any kingdom hall in another town or country. And if you just say, Hey, I'm brother so-and-so from Lincolnshire or wherever, mm-hmm. um, instant social network of around a hundred people. Mm-hmm. And when you all get together for your big conventions, you know, you, you go to the the movie theater in the evening, for instance, well, you, you're booking out a row of 20 or 30 seats Mm. Um, you're, you're then going for the meal afterwards and you're booking out a restaurant of 20 to 30, you know, seats. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, it's, it's quite mm. a superficial network because of the reasons we said earlier, but it's a network and mm-hmm. there's that sense of connection. Um, so, so when people leave, um, it's, it's quite hard to replace that. And, and that's something that people, people feel the void of. Mm-hmm. Um, be, because it's it's so intense, it's almost overstimulation, and then going into a place where the silence is deafening. The, mm-hmm. Those those are things that were very enjoyable, and and I, I think can be learned from and applied on the outside for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know um, uh, that 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 feeling of of community, you know, is certainly to longer life, right? I know studies have shown that. You know um, that that people in religious organizations tend to live a little longer, and they think that part of it is that that feeling of of belongingness. You know, mm. um, but I mean, I, I I also think that you see that, um, for example, in the substance abuse population, right? People that are addicted to meth or or heroin or something, they're part of a social network, mm. and when they get out of it. You know what I mean? Suddenly they're lost. You know what I mean? And so, 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 um, choosing our company wisely, there's, there's certainly something to be said about that. You know what I mean? Um, but how do you help people to deal with that? How do you help people or what advice do you have for anybody who's feeling isolated because they've left a a group that they can no longer be a part of? How do they reclaim that, that sense of connection? The first place to start is, it's maybe cliched at this point, but it's starting with our own selves. The, um, the the strategy of any good tyrant is is not to hold a gun to your head and make you do things or not do things, um, because that's it's just too resource um, laden to do that. Mm-hmm. That they have to internalize ty- tyrants inside your own head so that you become your own jailer, mm-hmm. um, and a, a part of that is that this this threat of shunning and judgment uh yes it's coming from the outside but it's coming from the inside and that's what you call your christian conscience mm-hmm. and so so once you've left you've you've still got that that instinct to judge yourself and shun yourself and uh and until you address that then you could be showered with love and uh, and many people experience this i did where you you'll have amazing friendships or relationships or opportunities come your way, but because you feel inherently unworthy of it, you'll sabotage it. Mm. If you if you accept it in the first place, you'll either 
keep it at arm's length until it, it dissolves, or you'll think you want it and then you'll sabotage it down the line. So, so that mm. starting point has to be our own sense of worthiness and not shunning ourselves, not abandoning ourselves. Um, when you do the work there, you, you set the scene for these other things to click in down the line. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, you gotta, you gotta identify that, that inner mother superior, right. <laughs> and, uh, and just go, Oh, I hear you. Okay. I hear you mother. Right. <laughs> you know, so you're the, the inner nurse ratchet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what it is. Oh my gosh. Wow. Being shunned is such a evolutionary biology, um, component i would say because you know mm-hmm. being shunned in, in nature i mean it's it's been drilled into countless generations because the ones who were shunned didn't survive as much mm-hmm. so yeah. now the people that remained were the people who had a healthy fear or let's say maybe even a uh, a very strong fear maybe let's take the word healthy out of it but just a very strong fear of being shunned because mm-hmm. it was a protective mechanism to to keep your uh, keep yourself alive and keeping yourself alive means the potential of continuing your family line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Being shunned is, is a terrible uh, fear for people. It is. They're not. Carlos, you, you remind me of uh shame, shame, puppy, shame. All the monkeys know your name. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Yeah. Shame, shame, puppy, shame. All the monkeys know your name. It's just like, there's something about that. All the monkeys know your name. Like, Oh my God. Like, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. It's like you know who wants to be excommunicated from the 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 group of monkeys, you know? Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, it reminds me a little bit of um, you know, the, the podcast we did with um, uh, Petalin. Mm. You know, we, we did an interview with this with this gal named Petalin Albert, and um, uh, one of the things she pointed out, I thought that was pretty clever, was that the the first emotion shown in the Bible is shame. Mm. You know, it, it has mm. to do with the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so when, when they first show that um, it's like that, that's, it's so much a part of the Judeo Christian tradition because it's like the foundations, what starts like the first really pronounced emotion that's, that's expressed is shame. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that it has no place, you know, shame shame is a, Mm -hmm. it's a, a great deterrent. Um, It's just when it gets weaponized against you, then or, or yeah. you weaponize mm-hmm. it against yourself in a way that's not healthy. That's that's where it's harmful. Definitely. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about that for a second, because I think shame also has another positive quality. Um, if you if you look at what it could potentially do, I mean, shame, uh, I think of as slightly different than, than guilt in the sense that shame is something that usually is imposed upon us, mm. right? And it's kind of like... It, it's almost implying that you should have done something different or you should be someone different mm. or feel mm. something different. Right. So shame, the capacity to sense shame or to be able to be shamed, um, it could, could potentially awaken us to um, who the driver is. So if we mm. are resolving a shameful feeling, one of the things we have to do is we have to look inside and say, why am I feeling this way? If I want to heal this, I have to, to, to get clear on what's mine and what's theirs. So it does form a little bit of a, uh, an emphasis on building a boundary between 
you know, what is yours and what is theirs? Like, wh- why am I feeling shame? Because they think I'm not with the style, you know, or that I, I, I wore the wrong brand of shoes or something like that. You know, this happens in school, like when kids are shamed for the clothing they wear. And, um, or another element of it is that it, it causes you to get clear on um, having the confidence to be who you are. So if you're not fitting in and you feel ashamed and people are shaming you and then you have this shame thing, right? You want to bury, you want to hide, but it is asking you to be more confident. It's asking you to, to say, well, who are you? And can you be authentically you? And can you stand up for who you are? And can you uh, drive that shame out? So it can be a a prompt for you to become a stronger person. Shame can cause you to step it up and mm. to stand your ground and to be clearer about why you are the way you are and to own who you are more. As I mm. see shame is potentially stimulating some mm-hmm. uh, transformative themes in your life, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, you know, I would say, um, what does shame physiologically do to your body? Well, it generates heat Ooh. immediately. You flush, your face gets red. You feel hot. I mean, you never, your face never feels so hot as when you're having a, an intense moment of shame. And um, so in, in some ways, um, shame is physiologically generating a tremendous amount of energy in the body. I think that the the danger in shame is, you know, like I said, if if we if we turn it inward, you know, Jonah, you said when it's weaponized, whether whether it's an it's an outside source that is causing us to weaponize it, or if it's that internal, you know, control that has been implanted in us that causes us to weaponize it against ourselves, um, when we when we turn that shame inward, that heat is very damaging, very inflammatory. Um, I know, you know, uh, Dr. Mario Martinez, Carlos, who we like, you know, uh, the psycho immunologist, you know, says that shame is the most in it's, it's very inflammatory in the body creates problems, pain, you know, things like that in the body. Um, but so I look at it as there's this intense generation of energy that's, that's released in the body. Boom. What are you going to do with the energy now? And, and, and we have this, this opportunity, this, this narrow window of opportunity when shame comes up to go, okay, surf that wave and say, how can I use this energy to do something about it? Like you said, I'm going to clarify who I am because of this. I'm going to clearly understand that, ah, you know what? I don't identify with the guy that just did that. You know what I mean? So I'm going to do something about it. You know, we can empower ourselves with that, with that energy or, you know, we, we let it smolder and burn and then it's going to, you know, (laughs) you know, burn the basement. Yeah. We, we want to push it down. We want to cover it up. We want to pretend it doesn't exist. I mean, shame, shame is inherently uh, inclusive of the idea of hiding. Yeah. And, and, and what physiologically is shame doing? It's coming right up and manifesting on our face, to be honest with everybody else. It's like, it's like, I am communicating my shame to everybody and you all see me blushing and I've turned beet red in public. Right. And like you said, we want to push it back down, you know? And so it's in Chinese medicine, it's liver yang rising. You know, the, the young is rise up, which could be very damaging too. And it, it seems like, you know, the, the principle, the healthy principle would be to, uh, if it, if it arises and it comes up to let it come up and out and just let it go, like to ha- offer no resistance to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because when you expose your shame to the light, you soon realize it isn't as bad as you once thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Maybe we could learn to let the heat of shame burn up the shame itself. Yeah. You know, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. There, you know? there was an exercise I, I heard of. It wasn't a workshop I went on. Um, but it was one I heard about where the instructor said to everyone, it's like an NLP thing. And um, the instructor said, write down anonymously the most shameful thing that you've ever done, the thing in your life you feel the most shame about, and just write it down in this kind of cathartic expression thing. And you, your name isn't on it. So even if someone did read it, they wouldn't know it was you. But you just write it down. And then someone came around the room with a, a, a bin and you put it in a trash can. American listeners <laughs> and uh, yeah, threw right. <laughs> it all in there and um, and took it away. So, oh, great, that was cathartic. And then the next day, everyone comes back into the class and out comes this trash can again. And and the, the instructor ta- starts taking things out and reading them. And people are freaking out. Like, oh, my God, he's, he's going to read my shameful thing. And it's going to be so yeah. much more shameful than anything anyone else has written there. And I'm going to turn red. Everyone's going to know it was me. And... Uh, and then, you know, you listen to the things being read out. It's like, ooh. And then, and then, you know, 20 in, you're like, oh, my God, my thing is, is even milder than any of these. And right. everyone's having the same thought. Yeah, who the are freaks. these freaks, right? Yeah. And, and it's like, yeah. oh, I wasn't. That, that thing that I thought was the most shameful thing about me um, is, is normal because everyone has something like that and and that that humanizing element is a bit I mean, maybe unethical maybe torturous i don't know but it, i think it demonstrated a good point of um look we're d- don't flatter yourselves it's it's kind of egotistical to think that you're the most shameful human that's ever ever existed we're just not that special right. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm just not that corrupt or that sinful it's just not possible yeah wow that's i love that that's that's a great idea Oh my goodness. It's a great idea. Um, Reminding me of, of skull and bones. Uh, you know, the, they, they have to admit their, um, their entire sexual past and, and right. every, every kink and everything. And supposedly it's, it's one of those um, uh, indoctrin indoctrinization methods that they do in that cult mm. to, to have something on you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, collateral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Blood brothers, shame brothers. Yeah, but, oh but speaking to the um, the survival thing that you mentioned earlier is, uh, I often say that our brain is not designed to make us happy; it's designed to keep us alive. Right, and and then it's it's our job to figure out the whole happiness, fulfillment, enlightenment. That's on us. But the the hardware that we come with is is just there to keep us alive for long enough to reproduce and yes. And 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 give that offspring enough time to raise. Everything else is is a, an optional extra that we feel entitled to in the modern world because survival in its most basic form is is taken for granted. So so we're like, well, I know I'm going to be okay. I know I'm going to live to a ripe old age, you know, God willing, whatever. And but this fulfillment thing now that seems really important. So we feel entitled to it, and we feel shortchanged if we don't have it. And and the fact that our, our biological system is hardwired towards something different and needs to be retrained is something we all have to come to terms with so mm-hmm. like in in a survival thing let's say being shunned by the tribe is a really bad thing so let's do what we can to be a, a cohesive member of the tribe and if i think about sleeping with my best friend's wife then ooh, the the repercussions of that they would cause shame and or death so 
in anticipation of that, I'm I'm not going to do that. And and all all these this game of tic tac toe that happens in that just purely subconscious survival brain. Mm. That that's really important. If you're living in a in a tribal setup a long time ago, that's that's really vital. If being shunned mm-hmm. by the group means I'm going to be at greater risk of dying out horribly. Well, we, we still have the same feeling now when we're wearing a, a jacket that's a little bit out of fashion and people kind of sneer at us. Our body doesn't know the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's training it to to realize, look, this isn't a matter of life or death. This The shame that I'm feeling is, is not... You know that that's not a real thing, and I'm I'm changing my relationship to that. Um, that's that's on us to figure out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well said. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, very well said. I like that. Um, you, you know, Jonam, uh, for me, uh, this this is interesting. You know, because I I I used to be part of a uh, an organization that followed uh, an Indian guru. And I'm not. I for many, many, many years, I've I've been uh, separated from that. I, 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 you know, like you, I, I pulled myself out of that. And what's interesting is, um, I remember being in that organization. And by the way, I still have lots of wonderful friends and family and, and people that I really care about that are still involved in that. And the ones that really care and love me, you know, are still you know, people in my lives and they're okay. They just understand that it's like, you know, Hey, we don't have to necessarily all be on the same page in terms of what we believe. And they still can accept me. Now there's going to be some people that don't, um, but, but they do. And it comes back to that idea of separating the, the, the personality from, you know, the, the, the principles and, 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 and all that. Um, and so I'm very thankful for the people that um, I still have good relationships with that are still a part of that, but we all remember well, I still remember before I had left that organization, the conversations that you would hear between people about somebody who's no longer part of the organization. Mm, yeah. And I remember those conversations and it's, it's, it's uh, a little nerve wracking to know that all those same conversations were happening about me, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and a lot of that is, you know, some of that shame. And I think part, part of the, the challenge for me was, I'm really coming to terms with the idea that that uh, it's more shameful to dishonor my own beliefs than it is to disappoint other people's expectations of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, fortunately, uh, I had enough—I don't know—ego integrity to be able to do that. You know, but it was rough. You know, it was it was very very difficult time. Very very difficult time. So. Um, just sharing a little something personal with you about, you know, my, my own kind of journey. So it's kind of a similar, similar kind of thing, you know? Well, it's true. You, pro- you project out that conversation and, and sort of copy and paste it because you know, yeah. it's going to be happening. So, so yeah. this relationship with abandonment builds. So mm-hmm. there's this, I describe it as a timeline. So let's say if this is the, the moment where you, you leave and the big, mm-hmm. you know, it's rupture, so to speak, happens Mm -hmm. before that happens there's the fear of that happening and then as it becomes inevitable there's the anticipatory fear of it happening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then there's the intensity of that happening in the aftermath there's there's recovering from that like we said earlier the bubble bursts and now you're on the outside and you're finding your way and 
having to learn how to mm-hmm. walk again, as it were. Um, yeah. and, and then you have other relationships. Life moves on and you get into new uh, enterprises, new work, new connections, whatever. But that, that intense imprint experience of anticipating if I do something wrong, they're, they're all going to leave me. And mm-hmm. that's going to really suck. And then that's going to take a lot to recover from. And that bubbles away in there is this subconscious fear that we then project onto other enterprises, relationships, friendships. I don't know if that was true for you, but it's, it's certainly true mm. for many, many people I speak mm-hmm. to. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I felt that there there were a lot of really honorable principles and things in that organization that I think caused a lot of the people that cared about me to feel like it's okay for them to still care about me. So that was, that was certainly an improvement over, I think what a lot of people experience. Um, and uh, uh, so, so, so that, that was a positive, but I'll, I'll say this. I mean, for anybody, you know, anybody listening, um, I actually found that my spirituality improved after I left. And I think that's the case for a lot of people out there that that do make that decision that, you know, I need to leave a particular group or an organization and kind of sail the seas on my own. Um, that is not the end of your spirituality. That that could honestly just really truly be the beginning of it. And you really could have exponential growth in ways that that people don't expect. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's quite a wonderful adventure, you know. So um uh, sounds like you've done it. <laughs> I've done it. You know, anybody listening, you know, um, the water's fine. Come on in, explore, you know, jacuzzis feel good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially in such good company. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, remember that uh, C- Carlos, I was, if you seen the, uh, the little cartoons, I don't, I don't, I don't know the guy who does it. It's, it's, um, big Panda and little dragon. Oh yeah, it's, it's like those those Taoist things, and there's there's that yeah, one. Those are great. Yeah, there's there's Big Panda, and there's the, the little tiny dragon is on Big Panda's back, and there and he, and he says, "Big Panda, what's better, the the journey or the destination?" And Big Panda says, "The company." Yeah, I love that one. <laughs> just just great, you know. It's like neither. It's the third option. I would have just said yes. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, gosh. Um. Yeah having been on both ends of it myself as well and seeing um, how terrified people can be when, when going through that initial separation or even contemplating it. um, It's so wonderful and relieving to see when people finally reach that point of letting go of that terror, you know, the terror of eternal fire, the terror of being punished by their guru, the terror of their life going awry and not having any direction or whatever that terror source is um, when they finally get to a point of rebalancing and refocusing, it's such a big relief. I've mm. seen it with clients. I've seen it with friends. I, I've felt it myself. I've seen it in family members. You know, it, it's just really, really beautiful to see when people reach that other, the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Worth it. It's totally yeah. worth it. There might be people who, who listen to this show who maybe have recently or, or, or relatively recently left a circumstance like that and might still be feeling a little lost. And, and if you are hearing this, I hope that you uh, take that to heart that mm-hmm. you'll be one of many people who 
have gotten to the other side of it and been well, very well. Like mm-hmm. their life, life has improved greatly. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this, this may be a good time to talk about resources for, for people and Jonam, you are such a resource, yes. right? So could you talk about, um, uh, about the things that you offer people? How can they contact you? Uh, what can they expect? Yeah. So the, the best place to find me is my website, which is religionrehab.co.uk. And that's got the link to my podcast and to other resources I've put together. And it's, it's all with that focus of how you can recover from spiritual tyranny. Predominantly, I'm speaking from, from my background of, of religious tyranny and religious trauma. That's, that's a common theme. But, but there are many versions of them. So, so there are lots of podcast episodes that, that are full of um, value. I interviewed Carlos on one uh, a while back, which, was, uh, which has had great reviews from people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that, that's a great place to start. And in, in terms of what to expect, I, when I work with someone actually in conversation, you know, I have programs addressing things like getting over religious trauma and how you can work through the process of grieving the living. Um, if, if you've lost everyone <laughs> close to you or many people close to you, how mm. can you gain closure and move on from such a confusing experience? Um, th- there are those types of resources. But the, the best place to start is always just to have a... Uh, I, I do 15-minute insights calls with people. This is mm. what, what I do across the board, which is where... It's a short conversation. There's nothing for sale on it. So your credit card is safe. <laughs> it's just a conversation <laughs> to see, you know, what do you need? And mm-hmm. can I either point you in the right direction or can I offer that myself? Are there free resources or paid resources that could be right for you? But it's, it's just a fact-finding thing to connect and see mm-hmm. and, and hear some of your story and, uh, and see if there's that, synergy to to actually collaborate in the future mm-hmm. um, the the reason i do it that way is because there's so much pressure out there there are so many hard sales people and it's all sign up for this thing and then i'm going to upsell you to that thing and do that which is fine you know there's there's nothing immoral about money uh, but just for many of us who are coming from a background of being preached at it's mm-hmm. um i tried to be very careful to say look there are many tools that will be useful to you. My background is escaping from a religious doomsday cult and the tools from NLP and hypnotherapy and behavioral engineering, they all were massively helpful to me. They're massively helpful to the other people who I help and who resonate with me. So, so try it on for size, see what you think to it. And if it resonates, let's, mm. let's do some more together. And mm-hmm. it, it just feels a lot more authentic and a lot more uh, organic to do it that way. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. that's, that's the best approach, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you, you really honor that, that people coming from that kind of a situation are a little more delicate and, 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 you know, will benefit from a little bit, a little bit more safety, you know, when, yeah. when, when reaching for resources. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to tr- um, help people trust themselves. That That's the whole point. I think it's, it's not, is not about saying I have the right map for you to follow, because how could I? We're all on our own, <laughs> on mm-hmm. our own little islands, on our own little journeys. Um, 
But what I do have is, is some tools that can help you build your own map and orient yourself to your life and your surroundings so that and so that then you can apply it in the way that's right for you. I say mm-hmm. if, if, any, if you have any teacher who's telling you this is the only way, then like we said earlier, run from those who have found the truth. Um, it's, it's, rarely a good, it's rarely a good sign when someone says they have the only way. And so, mm-hmm. and so I, I try not, try not to, to take that approach. There, there, are, there are many things that can help. And, and I've gathered a lot that have helped me and help others too. So mm-hmm. it's um, very much you, you're, you know, you, you'll be loved and accepted and supported regardless of your participation or membership. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, that, and that's a standard that... Um, certainly people from my background have not experienced before. So it's yeah. an imp- important standard to set. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, yeah. seriously. This is a, this is a really, really um, a beautiful and, and positive, generous thing that you're doing. Thank you. No, it's, mm-hmm. it's very close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we can tell. Yeah. Yeah, very good. And uh, you, you seem like a really balanced human to help point the way, you know, to people that, that are, are in that, that situation. Cause you understand you're a wounded healer yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so you certainly understand a little bit more about what they're going through. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I certainly feel that from you. So there, there are many people who, who come to me who complain about how they've had to pay for the privilege of teaching therapists about cults. And then they come to these people <laughs> with all these fancy degrees on their walls, and it's like they're scratching their heads, going like, "Oh, what they did? What?" And I'm like, oh, "Well, sure, you can just message them, can't you?" And, and it's, uh, uh-huh. it's it's so frustrating when someone's built up the courage to actually seek help because that's that's tough the first time you do mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. and the, building up the courage to to reach out and say, "Hey, look, I'm in need." And uh, to then be invalidated or just misunderstood from someone with great intentions, um, mm-hmm. that, that's really s- sad and it's disappointing. So and anything I can do, whether it's working with me or on the, the podcast I share, which is interviewing experts in, in many different fields and former survivors of, of cults as well, mm-hmm. um, j- just showing that recovery is possible, first and foremost, don't acknowledge that and there are many tools available to support you in achieving that um is is vital work i believe Mm -hmm. yeah and i do want to encourage the listener to really look you up because those uh, podcasts are loaded with great information and they're well done so i I like your podcast so um, i hope that people who who listen to podcasts who enjoy learning things uh, who are even mildly curious about it to just go to that website. You said it was religionrehab.co.uk. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I really highly encourage the listeners to do that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. There's good and, stuff there. And, and the podcast is the religion rehab podcast, which is on, oh. uh, on iTunes and Spotify and oh, good. All, those, all of the usual suspects. <laughs> good. Excellent. The religion rehab. Uh, religion rehab, the religion, oh, religion rehab podcast. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, so, uh, gosh, you know, Joan, this is great, man. Thank, thank you for, 
doing what you do and, and, and sharing it with us. And, uh, hopefully more and more people will find what they need, you know, because of you. Mm, thank you. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. um, you, you too, as well. The, um, you too, and you too, plural, <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> you know, so many, um, great insights and, um, I mean, at this point, it's egotistical of me to say you get great guests together, but because <laughs> I am one now. But wow. that's you know, I, I take that as a, as a big compliment because um, mm. there, there's so much value, and um, it's the the right questions being asked to the right people is um, is is always such a gem to listen to. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I want to say an ironic statement here, Jonam, that you are doing God's work. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. Big time. Fiat looks. <laughs> All right. All right. That's wonderful well, having this conversation. Right, gentlemen, yes. It's great. Yeah, likewise. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Special thanks to our guest, Jonam Ross. You can find more about Jonam Ross and what he does at religionrehab.co.uk. And you can check out his podcast, which is called the Religion Rehab Podcast. My name is Oliver Altine. I produce The Authenticity Show. I also wrote our theme song, which you're listening to right now. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and connect with us on social media. And you can find our website at authenticityshow.com. Thanks for listening and have an authentic day.